Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Hawks Insiders Thursday night safe space. My name is Ashley Brown. Good to have you all with us once again as we take a look at the week through the only lens that matters, and that is through the brown and the gold. Uh, great spaces planned this evening. Hopefully going to be joined at around 9 o'clock by Damien Fleming, a.k.a. the biologist, a.k.a. the father of... Jazz Fleming, Hawthorne's number one pick at the AFLW draft earlier this month, and also a diehard Hawk man himself. Hopefully, he'll be with us at around nine o'clock. Uh, in, but in the meantime, let's say hello to my friends and co hosts. Firstly, Andrew Weiss, good evening. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, everyone. I must say, I was. Um... I was with Evie at a playground this afternoon and on the flying fox with his children next to me was none other than Scotty Boland. Uh, so I had a few, uh, you know, fake conversations in my head where I had to say to him, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we've already got uh, one goat Aussie bowler joining us this evening. You're just going to have to sit this one out. Uh, Flattery will get you everywhere, no doubt, with him. But uh, oh, what a great man he is! Big Richmond supporter, I think. Um, but yeah, I didn't know he was a local, uh, Scotty Boland. There you go, Brad Klebanski. Hello, Brad. Evening, all good to be here after back to back. Yes, that must be very disappointing for you. Back to back, you must be uh, must be therapy. No, looking forward to the three peat on Saturday. So we were due for another three peat. So looking forward to it. Well, let's hope that you are proven correct. Uh, who's to say whether Bluntstone is a happy hunting ground for Hawthorne? Certainly Hobart is. Hawthorne's played one game of premiership points there and won by 157 points. So it is a, a place uh, well, with a few happy memories anyway. Danny Prince, good evening. Good evening. And uh, my how our standards of three-peats have changed over the years. That's right. Three wins over four. Uh, three tacking had, teams. Yeah, three tacking <laughs> teams. And we're celebrating as if we should have our own parade down the Yarra River, like the grand finalists will this year. Um, Darren Levine, not with this evening. He was a, a late scratching. He sends his apologies. And hopefully, Simon Morowitz, if he's not on the futsal court. Is it a futsal court, Danny? Pitch court? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it depends on if it's inside or outside, but I've always referred to it as a court. But, yeah. How many how many nights a week does this man play futsal? That's what I want to know. I think he does it eight, eight nights a week. That's um, impressive. He takes it very, very seriously. Okay, let's get into uh, the uh, final word about the footy on the weekend. It was Hawthorne 15-12-102, defeating West Coast 12-5. 77 at the MCG in front of 23,000 people, which means I owe Simon lunch because I said it would be 25,000 people. I think uh, basically a combination of weather and West Coast supporters well and truly understanding that the team was tanking, um, decided not to get to the game, which means I've got to buy him a Palmer or something like that. It was um, a sign of progress. I took it for Hawthorne because they didn't, pay, didn't play sorry, particularly well. Um, never uh, never really looked like losing from sort of the second quarter and um, they ended up getting the win in spite of everything. Um, Danny, take us through what was the good about Hawthorne's performance at the MCG. 
Yeah, like you said, it, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest game, and I think we talked about this in the post match player ratings pod. But um, there was enough to get excited about. I think um, one of the things that we wanted to see, um, regardless of what our stance is on winning games at the back end of the season, is that um, the good performances are driven by our young players, and uh, and that was definitely the case on Saturday. I mean, the the obvious one is uh, is Josh Ward this week's uh, NAB Rising Star, and I know we'll touch on that later on. Um, but there was plenty more too. There was uh, goals and possessions from Connor McDonald, uh, a great shutdown role uh, from Finn McGuinness, Dylan Moore wreaking havoc through the midfield again, um, James Blank and Denver Granger Barras doing the job down back against good key forwards. And uh, yeah, just right across the board, we had uh, young players contributing to the win and it wasn't off the back of our senior senior vets, which I think is a really promising thing. I think... Um, Wins in the back half of the season can be a little bit misleading, and um, at least we see from these ones that uh, we've got you know young blokes. And I shouldn't forget to mention um, John Newcomb. We almost forget him now because he's so consistent. Um, but you know that they're driven by our young players. That's an exciting sign for next season and into the future. So they were the be- the biggest positives for me. And I guess it's always nice to see. Um, a gun like Luke Bruce wind back the clock and give us a bit of a vintage Bruce performance. And it was nice to uh, being there with my kids and teaching them the Bruce chant um, after he kicked a goal and then having them be able to practice it five more times uh, was, was pretty cool. It's interesting you talk, uh, Danny, about wins at the end of the season. It's uh, the Essendon um, Mafia, basically Essendon Media Mafia, which is more or less led by Matthew Lloyd, totally discounting Essendon's wins at this time of year, saying we've seen it too often where they've come home and there's some sort of stat on TV, one of the shows about the last few years that they've sort of come home with a wet sail and had yep. these wins towards the end of the season. Where is it? And we may have been a bit sucked in by some of Hawthorne's wins towards the end of last season as well. But um, we, uh, the general feeling I get is that uh, Hawthorne supporters aren't getting too carried away with the, yeah, these back-to-back wins, and certainly won't if they beat, you know, if they beat as they should North Melbourne on Saturday. No one seems to be getting too carried away, but I wonder if that'll change if they win one of their four games after that, all against teams who are desperately need the win to make the finals. Yeah, I think it depends on your like your expectations going into the season as to whether or not the uh, the wins in the back half are, um, you know, fake ones or cheap ones or not. Um, with the Hawks, you know, and like I said, being able to see these signs from our young players, it, it is promising. And there is an element of excitement that comes out of that. For the Bombers, I absolutely agree with Matthew Lloyd. You know, there, there was media pundits like, pundits like Mick Malthouse claiming they were going to win the flag. Now, that might be overs, but they were definitely expected to be right in the thick of it come September. Um, for them to play so poorly in the front half of the season and then just get some cheapies in the back half when it's mathematically impossible. I think when it comes to the expectation versus reality, that's a, that, that is definitely, I'm, I'm with Matthew Lloyd on that. With us coming into the season, knowing we're rebuilding, knowing that we want to see certain signs from our young developing players and then seeing it in a win, that's why that's uh, acceptable for me and that's why it's exciting as well. Brad, the bad, keep it brief because it wasn't that much. No, only a couple on my list. Number one, Cozzy gets dropped and Sam puts him as the sub. Absolutely horrific decision, as bad as when uh, Hardigan was made a sub. Don't understand it. If you drop him to find form, play him at Box Hill. 
I've noticed he's an emergency again this week, but hopefully um, Tom Phillips gets the vest this week because Cozzy needs to go back to Box Hill and find some form because the flow-on effect on that was Mitch Lewis, who I love and who's had a wonderful year, got absolute, got an absolute uh, flogging by Tom Abaras, who has played one of the all-time great defensive games. He had 30 possessions and 18 marks. Mitch had one shot on goal. So Mitch needs a second key defender. So if Cozzy's going to get dropped to find form, play him and get him back in the seniors sooner rather than later because we don't have the depth at Box Hill at the moment to fill that second key forward role. Uh, another bad from me was the uh, umpiring once again, absolutely horrendous for both sides. But that free kick against Luke Bruce, arguably the worst of uh, the season. I feel like week in, week out, we do seem to cop the poorest of uh, decisions. I might be biased, but the umpiring this season has been deplorable. Uh, so hopefully... On umpiring, Brad, I'm not sure that... Correct if I'm wrong, someone might know this. And as always, please, if you want to join the conversation, uh, request to speak, we'll get you on uh, as soon as we can. I'm not sure we've had any of the top-line umpires this year, if no. any games. I don't think we've had Matt Stevick. I don't think we've had Simon Meredith. I'm not sure we've had Craig Fleer. No, and I might be wrong, but I think there is a shortage at the moment of, you know, um, the top quality, uh, uh, you know, top quality umpires. I think, as you've just said now, you know, Stevick and a few and others, if you ask the regular AFL supporter on the street to name you, you know, three uh, umpires, I reckon the only two they'd name you would be uh, Razor Ray and Stevick and maybe... Uh, Plough's uh, son is a Brett Wallace or Brett Wallace? Brent. Yeah, Brett Wallace, Terry Wallace's boy. So the umpiring's an interesting one. I know it's a boring topic, but it seems to be in the news at the moment with the head high tackles, which is another issue. But it is something the AFL, I believe, are going to look at in the off season as to what they do going forward because something needs to change, whether they turn them into more uh, professional. I don't know what the solution is, but I'm sure I'm not uh, the only one, but that would be one of the main reasons why people aren't, you know, attending games and why people are losing interest in the current state of play of the game. Uh, it's a shame Morris not with us because he defended that decision against Luke Bruce. So uh, you couldn't possibly. He did. So it's a shame he's not here. But uh, we'll uh, so if he joins us later, we'll certainly resume that conversation. Uh, we see you were there. I was there. Danny was there. Darren was there. I don't think you were, Brad. Uh, fan experience. A quick word about the day at the footy. Yeah, well, firstly, I should just say that I, I just asked Ethan whether Matt Stevich has umpired us this year, and he said, oh, I think so against Carlton in round three. So I just had a look, and uh, right, he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so so we've had him at least once, I can confirm that. Um, fan experience. So a couple of things uh, to reflect on from a fan experience point of view. Uh, I think... Um, I want to talk about the um, the schmuzzle that is reserved ticketing uh, games in general. And um, as a full AFL member, kids, full AFL members, um, they went digital this year. So the need to reserve a ticket and pay the extra 20 bucks for our tickets, obviously against West Coast, um, we had seats on level two. And, you know, we got there. We were actually in the front two rows and it was pouring. Um, 
and spoke to the steward who said, oh, look, only 3,000 tickets have actually been pre-sold, so sit wherever you like. Um, and the fact that we would have to pre-reserve them, having spoken to AFL membership during the week, um, in itself, there are some major flaws from a fan experience point of view with the ticketing. And I know I'm not alone with, you know, the ticketing situation and um, that in itself, I would suggest, is a reason you didn't win your bet over Mora. Um but that's another story. I think the other thing to reflect on would be the lap of honour at half time from a fan experience point of view. Um, bit stiff of the guys not to get the open open car top laps, you know, having to do all the hard work uh, walking around the ground. But obviously, you know, with the weather, uh, there's probably a few car dealers not so interested. so stupid. Like they didn't start, well, except for Hawthorne being sponsored by Nissan, you think they would have found a way to make it happen. But I suspect that was an MCC condition, no driving around the ground. The car park was totally closed. I couldn't even get in on the media pass. I was turned away at the gate and had to drive into Cremorne to find a parking spot. So I don't think they were allowed to let um, uh, an open-end cars drive around the boundary line. But they were so stupid. They didn't start until like six or seven minutes into half time. Before, and, and they were going to do a lap. I think they stopped on the members' wing in front of me yes. and the MCC. And they stopped to post a photo, and that was it. So, yeah, yeah and I think a lot of people had already gone to get food and stuff, as opposed to you know the announcements straight away in the fanfare. But yeah. um, having said that, certainly when they came through our section, everyone that was there was up and cheering and. Um, it really was a touching moment to be able to um, give them the send-off that they deserve. Obviously, there's been uh, commentary around the Franklins and the Clarkos and um, who else over Sean the next Burgoyne. couple. Uh, Sean Burgoyne. Who, who else could be in line? But, you know, I think for me, um, it was it was wonderful seeing them all there, seeing Jordan Lewis's kids wearing Hawk jumpers and, um, hearing, you know, his comments about being part of the Hawthorne family in, in the on-ground interview um, was very heartwarming and, and I guess similar to some of the Cyril stuff that's come out throughout the week as well. You just get the feeling that Sammy's all about mending mending these fences and in terms of what we stand for and who we are as a club, you know, it's got a really, really good feel to it. So... Um, love the MCG. Real shame that it's the last home game we've got there for the season. But um, yeah, overall, it was a really good reminder of why we love going to the G to watch the Hawks. Shame that uh, it was good of Geordie to get his kids out of Melbourne jumpers for the occasion too. So well done to Geordie. Okay, quickly, votes. Simon, you kick off. You're with us. Good evening. I owe you lunch. Yes, I know. Uh, votes. So was that me? Yes, you, Simon. I'm, I'm almost home. Sorry, guys, I'm in the car. Um, can I go last? You can go last. All right. Thank you. <laughs> all right. um, so we're so professional here tonight. <laughs> we see votes. I gave three to Josh Ward. I thought it was a breakout game, and he was brilliant. I love the positioning, putting him on the wing, and he's been named there this week. Um, and like we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, he just, You've got confidence when he's We're got... We're talking about him in a minute. Move on. Uh, all right. Sorry. <laughs> Two to Luke Bruce. Uh, as mentioned before, by Prinzi turned back the clock. And one to Dylan Moore, who, again, uh, stamped his midfield papers well, I thought, on the weekend. 
Brad. Uh, three to Luke Bruce, six goals, could have had eight. Two to Joshy Ward. I tweeted halfway through the first quarter, breakout game was coming. He just had a feeling he was due. And one vote to uh, John Newcomb. I thought that was uh, one of his better games of the year. I know he's had some big games with 28 touches, was our best inside mid on the day. Uh, Dylan Moore unlucky, as Jack, as was Jack Scrimshaw and James Sicily. Danny? Yeah, uh, three to Bruce, uh, two to Ward, and one to Dylan Moore. Uh, I thought those guys were fantastic and probably the biggest contributors in t- as to why we won the game. Murray, are you, are you out of the car or are you still... In yeah, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. All right, votes? Um, yeah, same as I think we see um, where it was. Ward and Bruce. And then unfortunately, um, Dylan Moore is no longer an elite small forward. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, he won't be an elite small forward next season because he's a bloody elite midfielder. He's a superstar midfielder. He's going along absolutely beautifully. Okay, news from the Hawks, the VFL. Well, they are the great entertainers, the Box Hill Hawks. Again, Danny, give us a quick summation. They were gone for money and they somehow found a way to win. I think I think it just proves that uh, the, their level of talent in this Hawthorne VFL side probably is their ladder position and some of their pre- past week's results are not indicative of um, how good the group is. Um, they managed to pull this one out. They had no rights to win it. Um, and a, a, a cracking uh, Benny Kavara goal um, to put the Hawks in front. And um, uh, then I think Fergus Green's sixth goal for the game, just to seal it in the dying seconds. Um but, yeah, I think the, the probably the most pleasing thing from a Hawthorne uh, point of view was uh, another solid game by Jai Sarong playing as that third tall. Uh, and pr- the biggest thing was uh, seeing Emerson Jecker being swung to centre-half back. The Box Hill Hawks had tried uh, Jackson Callow there in the last couple of weeks and it hadn't worked. Um, and with so many tall forwards in their forward line at the moment, um, they had to move one of them back. So moving Jekka there as a centre-half back with his foot skills and his ability to mark the ball. Uh, and he racked up 20 touches for the Box Hill Hawks playing as a centre-half back. So exciting signs. And uh, hopefully there's something that um, w- the Hawks will persist with, playing him at centre-half back and uh, and something that, you know, becomes a real uh, weapon for the Hawks because uh, Jekka can kick the ball 50 metres off both feet uh, and he, he knows how to mark it, and he's, he's a good interceptor. So um, it, it, it might be an exciting little <clears throat> change of change of ends. And with Cozzy doing the opposite a couple of years ago, um, there's a position there for another key defender, I think, uh, going forward, because you can't just have two that can play at the level. So um, it might be the way that Jekka holds his spot on the list. It's interesting that, uh, yeah, a bit of, some rave reviews about Jekka playing as a defender. People really like what they see, and... There's been a bit of the talk from people watching the games is forget about him as a forward and uh, get him up to speed as a, as a key defender. That's actually his best uh, his best role. So it would be quite yeah. ironic, wouldn't it, if it's the, they end up Cozzy ends up as the key forward prospect and Checker um, as the key defender. Yeah, and it's really interesting because under Mitchell last year, he Checker uh, was probably the the best key forward in the competition, uh, let alone at the Box Hill Hawks. He hasn't had a good run of it with injury and form this year and couldn't quite get going. And just with their, you know, 
stockpile of um, young tools with Callo, Jekka, potentially Cozzy this week, um, and then Sarong and Ramsden, who's played predominantly as a forward ruck, um, and then Fergus Green from a Box Hill point of view. There's just not enough room. It's land of the giants down there. So um, it's kind of been out of necessity, and but his foot skills are just so good that you can see why it would be a weapon. So, um, yeah, let's, let's see how he goes and see if he can back it up this week. Injury list for this week, no major, um, no major surprise really, other than uh, Chad Wingard, a finger injury now as well. They've, uh, he's got a, a finger uh, injury as well as the, uh, as well as having the looking after his uh, hamstrings or coin, whatever it is, it's keeping out for the rest of the year. Uh, any other news out of the injury list that we uh, missed out on, Lucy? Obviously, just the the update on CJ that uh, we didn't necessarily uh, see coming until they dropped the, dropped the news that he wouldn't be playing for this week. And obviously we, we had some, some thoughts as we have with some of the other guys that have come to fruition that it may, depending on the severity, Ash may be the last time we see him this season. Well, they seem to say it would be a one-week um, injury, but you can never quite know what they're thinking there at uh, Hawthorne when it comes to injury list and, uh, if he if he doesn't play next week, then suddenly that th- with three weeks to go, they might well look at the just put him in cotton wool till, till next year again. But um, we'll wait and see. It, it, it all has come down to their approach for these last four games. Certainly, the last five games. Sam Mitchell did say in a radio interview on Three W Sports Day this evening that he thinks they'd like to finish the season strongly. Which suggests maybe they will, you know, pick, they won't be putting any more guys into cotton wool for the rest of the season, and they want to pick strong teams and try to win, but. We'll see what happens there. Um, the other one might be, Ash, is just the disappointing news that came out late last week about Connor Downey and his yes. return to this hamstring injury. Yeah, after, I thought we covered that last week. Yeah, he, uh, we won't see him again this year. It's been an absolute no. debacle. And that will actually lead me to the next thing I want to discuss is, uh, we'll skip around on our running sheet, is uh, Peter Burge, the new head of high performance, coming to the Hawks. He was... At Hawthorne from 205 is one of the uh, new uh, broom that came in under Alistair Clarkson and Andrew Russell. He was at the club till 2011, was the uh, strength and conditioning coach of the 208 Premiership team, had a year at St Kilda, got out of there as quickly as he could, and then went to Richmond where he had great success for the past 10 years as their head of high performance, uh, was the head of high performance there, three Premierships, did a fantastic job with them, in particular in the hub in 2020, where Richmond sort of was a bit disjointed and unhappy when they got there. And by the end, they were the premiers, and he got them. He 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 had a beautiful, fantastic setup for them in the hub, and was a, a big part of that premiership team. So you wonder with these things, and I'll, I'll get you, Brad, to to kick this discussion off briefly. Is there where there's smoke, there's fire? Do you think the Hawks looked at their? Uh, uh, Injury rehabilitation training program over the last sort of 24 to 36 months and thought we can do better? Absolutely. Getting someone like, you know, Peter from uh, the Tigers during such a successful period can only be a positive. We've seen the last few years our injury list has actually been quite poor. I know I touched on it last week. I don't think it's got enough attention this uh, season. Obviously, we've seen what's happened to. Uh, Wingard this year with soft tissues, Connor Downey to a lesser extent, obviously being at Box Hill. Uh, 
the last couple of years, probably two and a half, three seasons, by the end of the season, probably by the mid, you know, probably by about round 15 or so, we seem to have so many guys out for the season, whether it's hamstrings, you know, um, stress fractures in backs, leg injuries. So I think a change was uh, needed. Peter Bird seems like the right man to come in with such a young and uh, developing side. He seems to be the type of guy that'll come in, create really high standards, and I think it's a really positive move. So I think, you know, Sam's slowly but surely getting the right pieces in place, you know, off-field to hopefully allow us to push for another flag and challenge again. And we know how important sports science is these days in the game. So to have someone like Peter Burge at the helm, in my opinion, is a very good appointment. Ash, can I ask you a question? Because you wrote a brilliant article on this um, during the week that we obviously published on on The Insiders. We talk a lot about becoming a destination club for players as Sammy builds, you know, the the project and the development along and and wanting to get big-name players coming. Obviously, we've got a really good panel of coaches, but... Do you see this as, you know, he's obviously very highly regarded, has gone in at the ground running on multiple projects and turned them into success stories. Do you see this as the first real, um, like the first real sign that we're on the right path to becoming a destination club again? I do. And so what I didn't put in the article that I probably should have now think about it is, Often when players, when free agents and players looking, you know, big-name players or even yeah, reasonable players are looking to change clubs and they go and meet with different clubs and the clubs do a presentation, it is often three people who lead the meeting. It is the coach, it is the either list manager or the GM of footy and the high-performance manager. The high-performance manager is a really important uh, part of the decision-making process for a player now. They, 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 they need to strike a good rapport from day one with the head of high performance because they're entrusting their, their, their bodies to him in a way. So even though Peter Birch is staying with Richmond until the end of the season, um, I would imagine that if Hawthorne, say, are talking to Carl Amon sometime in the next few weeks, that um, Birch will be part of the conversation. And he won't just be, hey, we've got this great uh, head of high performance coming to the club, he will be involved in the meeting. Pretty much anyone who comes, who considers going to Hawthorne now, uh, he will be front and centre of that. So, yeah, if Hawthorne wants to be a destination club, it's probably one or two years away from being, probably 12 months away from being seen as sort of the sort of destination club that Carlton and St Kilda have been, you know, a team on the rise that people want to join. They're probably 12 to 24 months away from that. But Burge is really important. It's, it, it, he will be a very key part of the decision-making process at Hawthorne really quickly. Um, and I, I bet how it works in that is that he'll, uh, he'll finish working at Richmond the, the day or after of their last game, whatever that is, where round 23 or a final, he'll start work at Hawthorne the very next day because he's got to plan the pre-season and that gets planned before the players go away. So in a way, if we hope Richard misses the finals, it'd be great because he can do a bit of work with the Hawthorne players before they go and leave. Anyone? No? All right. Um, on to the other bit of news. Josh Ward, rising star. Um, we see your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, it's really good because I think throughout, you know, the course of the season, uh, the surprise packet from, from a first-year side of things has been Connor McDonald. And, you know, every other week we've talked about how how good he looks and how amazing he is and how he's going to fit into this future midfield. Obviously, knowing that Ward's in, in the back pocket as having been billed as this incredible talent from before the draft. So um, to see him come out and do what he's promised to do, even in the games that he's played for us, but to do it over four quarters, you know, and that's been the knock on on the McDonald's and, and Newcombs and, um, and Butler's. And, and that's okay because they're young and it's early in their career and their kids, they'll get there. But to see him piece it together gives you that glimpse of, how good a footballer he's going to be when he's piecing it together every other week, if not every week. So um, well-deserved. It was a monster game. Um, he's, he's just such a good decision-maker. So not, not, even, um, not even from a ball-use point of view, but he seems to have assessed his options before he's got the ball and know what he's going to do with it and... You just have a lot of confidence in him. It's, it's a great, it's a, a great uh, nomination to get, and yeah, exciting, exciting times for for us with Josh Ward in the midfield for the next decade. That's for sure. Really well, like the move of him onto the wing as well, where he didn't necessarily have to have to have, and he talked about it throughout the week, the accountability directly in the guts but the ability to run and, and play more of a natural free-flowing game on the wing. Uh, and as I mentioned before, he's obviously been named there this week as well. So it'll be good to see how he how he goes against the Roos. They also named Connor McDonald centre-half forward. So we'll take I've it. got that <laughs> to speak with you later on as the, so we'll, uh, uh, the special we'll, for the week. We won't uh, have to – we won't focus too much on who's named where until they line up at uh, 1.45 on Saturday. Simon, who's had a better first year, McDonald or Ward? Um, I think McDonald, but mostly that comes down to expectation. I think they've been pretty similar, um, but there was just heavy expectation on Ward that he'd sort of step in and be a real key player from day dot, which may be unfair, um, but that's kind of where where a club is at when they're picking players in the first handful of picks in the draft or handful of live picks. So, you know, in the same way for someone like Jason Horn Francis, it's it's not fair for him that extreme pressure is placed on him. He didn't pick himself at pick one. Um, Joshua didn't pick himself at pick seven. But on account of that, I think Connor McDonald has exceeded his expectations to a degree that Josh Ward hasn't. Um, and I don't think he's taken a game apart yet, um, but he's probably shown as much. Um, and so for that reason, um, I'll say C-Mac. Okay. And, uh, and Danny, what do you think? Yeah, I, you'd have to agree. And I think also just on the fact that um, other than the week or so that he was managed, uh, McDonald's been a mainstay um, in the in the Hawthorne team, and 
I think that's obviously um, not Ward's fault, you know, through injury and missing out with uh, the lengthy concussion battle that he had. But um, just that body of work from McDonald has probably sees him edge in front. But in saying that, if uh, if Ward has a big tail end to the season, um, that probably, you know, probably puts him over the top in the end. So, um you know, I think the exciting thing is that we've seen signs from all three of our first-year guys that have played at AFL level, and there's still really, really rave reviews on Jai Sarong and Ned Long. They just haven't had the opportunity yet. So uh, it's looking like a, a really uh, positive draft haul for the Hawks this year. Okay. So Damien Fleming's with us. Damien, if you can hear this, just um, if you uh, – I'll take this offline – Guys, just keep talking about yourself for a sec. I've got to deal with Damon, get him on to um, get him involved. So if you guys could carry on with that for one sec, and I'm going to deal with our special guest and get him on. We see maybe it's a good opportunity to just talk about uh, Justin Crawford and his passing and um, pay our respects there while uh, while we're waiting. Yeah, that's a good shout. Uh, obviously... Uh... Pretty, pretty devastating news coming through again today. It seems to be a weekly thing at the moment for the club, having someone uh, connected to the club pass away. And, and obviously another um, that was strongly connected, both through obviously Shane Crawford being the legend that he is and, and also Justin having, having come across uh, in... In the oh, when would it have been in the nineties and played in the number twenty three a, a group of games at Waverley and um, I don't think there are too many details other than you know some of Shane's quotes uh, and he's obviously in a fair bit of of shock and uh, yeah I think no doubt we'll hear a bit more over the coming weeks. What was your reaction when you first first read about it, Prinzi? Oh yeah, it's just devastating, isn't it? Like. Justin's still just a young guy, I think 45. And uh, like you touched on, we see this is the last couple of weeks for the Hawthorne, wider Hawthorne family have just been, uh, they've been devastating with, with uh, you know, Paul Deere and uh, Ray Gunston and um, yeah, now Justin Crawford. I'm probably missing somebody else that I'm spacing on. But um, it's just, it's just, a, it's been a really, really terrible time for people associated with our footy club um, passing away. And I, I guess, you know, we don't know any of the details and we don't need to, but, um, you know, just paying our respects to him as a person and also, um, you know, uh, you know, being supportive in, 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 in the some small way of, of Shane and his family who are, you know, staples of the Hawthorne footy club. And um, you just don't want to see your people hurting. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really sad time. Okay. Damien Fleming is with us. The biologist, uh, superstar Australian cricketer, Hawthorne tragic and now father of Jazz Fleming, number one pick for the Hawks in the recent AFLW draft. Uh, Flem, good evening and welcome to the Hawks Insiders. Yeah, good evening everyone. Um, yeah, very excited uh, where the Hawks are sitting um, and uh, getting a lot of opportunity for the younger players and everyone's getting used to Sammy Mitchell and obviously very excited with, with Jasmine joining the, the AFL W team and, you know, how good is it that we're going to be able to um, barrack for the boys and the girls? Let's, well, so much to unpack with you, but I want to start, let's go back to the uh, 
give us the, the genesis of your Hawthorne fandom. Everyone's got their Hawthorne origin story. What's yours? Yeah, it's a good call. I um, My parents weren't fanatical um, Aussie Rules supporters. My dad's Bulldogs, mum's Carlton, but my nanas were. So uh, Nana Stewart was Carlton, Nana Fleming, Bulldogs. So I had uniforms for both. And then I think what happened, my best mate at primary school barracked for Hawthorne. Uh, his brother, older brothers who I looked up to barracked for Hawthorne and they were going well, um, yeah, around 75, 76. Um, so that was the choice for me. And then after that, we were winning, um, you know, legends in Lee Matthews and Peter Knights and Tucky and co. We had a lot of success. So um, just rode the bumps. Well, there was obviously more highs than bumps in, in our lifetime, isn't it? It's been amazing time of winning premierships in 70s and 80s, 91, um, 08 seemed like, it was only 17 years, but it seemed like ages. And then obviously we, we had that in the three-peat. And lucky enough that my wife, Wendy, uh, whose brother played for Gary, uh, Gary O'Donnell, played for Essendon, you know, club captain and, and legend. So she followed him. But as a kid, she barracked for Hawthorne. So it was very easy to get her back. And then, um, you know, it's your responsibility as a, as a father is to brainwash your kids, isn't it? So um, that's easier when you're, you're winning premierships. So Braden, who's 20, seen four premierships live. Jasmine saw the three-peat. Um, and, and obviously Izzy's uh, broken for Hawthorne as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Who are your favourite players? Uh, you know, you, I think you're, you're probably similar to me, so... Partner of the seventies and early eighties, who, who was on the bedroom wall? Which football? Yeah, so that yeah, it was interesting. We had so many stars, didn't we? But I was always keen on the goal kickers. So even someone like Michael Moncrief, number six, who I reckon gets underrated in Hawthorne history because he's between Hutto and obviously the Chief Dunstall. And I, I, I just loved his – he was a brilliant high mark and, and, and a brilliant shot for goal. So, obviously, I love Knightsy and, and Lethal and co. But I reckon someone like Michael Moncrief um, and, and John Hendry as well, because I heard he was a bit of a cricketer as well, um, bomber. So, there were a few of what, you know, you could have picked about 20 in that mid-70s, late-70s era, couldn't you? That's right. Uh, John Hendry opened the bowling for Hawthorne East Melbourne, so he was at Glenferry over 12 months a year playing footy <laughs> for six months a year and playing cricket. Yeah, and I mean, I only ever played one cricket game at Glenferry before Hawthorne Cricket Club moved on, but um, Ian Law was looking after the Hawthorne team then, and he was obviously a premiership player in 1961 and played state cricket for Victoria. And then a few years on, I was actually born in Western Australia, so... Uh, mum and dad were only over there for a couple of years. So, obviously, when I played cricket over there, they jumped on that pretty quickly, that it was uh, Western Australian-born uh, fast bowler Damien Fleming. And, uh, <laughs> obviously, the whack of it, because of the swinging conditions, I used to go right there. But, um, obviously, when Gary Bacanara come over at 82, he was probably my all-time favourite player. And he was the player that... Uh, he was also a fine cricketer in the state squad and played sub-district football and, and he's the sort of player I tried to play with, uh, like, you know, half-forward, Ruck Rover. And then Kenny Judge come next year, the late, great Kenny Judge, who equally great skills um, 
um, passionate man, coached the club, but also he, he was a very good cricketer as well. Judgy, he got me to speak at his, his cricket cricket club many years ago. So there were a couple of other ones that I you know I really looked up to and admired was Bucky and Judgy. Um, so I want to ask you about your, so imagine being a high pro, a, a leading sort of a sportsman in Victoria and Australia, your paths would have crossed a lot of, you and the footballers, your paths would cross a fair bit, I imagine. Sponsors, functions, uh, sports manufacturers, that sort of thing. You probably got to know a lot of the Hawthorne boys over the years. Yes, yeah, certainly so. And then, you know, the culture in Victoria, particularly back then, was the sportsman's nights. You know, it was almost like a rite of passage. that You could become popular enough to get asked to do them. And generally, it was a cricketer and a footballer. So, you know, cross paths a lot with Dipper and, and Derm. Um, you know, Derm's a big cricket fan. I mean, he still plays Derm. Um, and he actually played Dowling Shield at South Melbourne, my, my district club. Um so I, I was sort of friendly with that sort of era, but it probably probably was around the two, early 2000s when we won that, um, you know, we made the finals in 2000 and 01 where, you know, when Crody's kick hit the post against the Bombers, you know, we were coming home and looking like we would have played the Brisbane Lions in their grand final there. So um, I think it was in 2000 that uh, when Schwabby was coach, uh, Chris Connolly was an assistant. So he got me down there for a week, yeah, to talk. We'd just won the World Cup the year before and I was at all the training, sat on the bench. And it was the game where the Bulldogs, uh, sorry, we played um, we played the Bulldogs, but they beat Essendon. It was Essendon's only loss, I think, in 2000, the week before where they just massively flooded throughout the game. So... I was at training where um, they worked out how they were going to beat um, the Bulldogs' flood. And generally what it got around was um, not to bomb the ball into the forward line because obviously the Bulldogs had flooded back. It was to retain the ball. And if you had a chance to give it to Dutchie Holland or, or Dicko, who could kick goals from outside 50, lay it off to them. And was on the bench with uh, Johnny Hook, um, uh, who was the football manager back then. And, and once we got a few goals up in the first quarter, it, it changed the whole um, complexity of the game where the Bulldogs have to, had to score goals. So um, they couldn't just flood. And, and we had a memorable win and got into the finals. We lost to North Melbourne um, in the semi. But a lot of those guys, Jade Rawlings, still really good mate, Daniel Harford, um, Dicko, um, and actually, a lot of those boys text when Jazzy, um, you know, got drafted, you know, Radar Tallis and, and, and Woodsy. So, yeah, just, you know, they, although they didn't go on to win a premiership, you know, that group of Hawthorne boys were really close. I have recollections. I, I remember reading or writing about you being involved in the team uh, around the time that you, you held up a sponsor's banner between quarters yes. and things like that. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was uh, it was fantastic, you know. Just you know, you felt like you're involved, and then you you know, uh, we're in all the um, skilled meetings, you know, with the midfielders and the defenders and all that. So it was actually gave me a lot to sort of take back to cricket. But um, you know, certainly I found you know you had a, a bit to say around team meetings, and then having one on one with the players, and and also just a, a well constructed victory against, as I said, you know, the Bulldogs come up with a plan to beat 
yeah, one of the greatest teams of all time in Essendon in 2000. And, and within a quarter, you know, we'd, we'd worked it out. But it was interesting, Schwabby, you know, at, particularly at Box Hill City Oval, um, they picked two teams and they set a flood up um, one side and, and they, you know, had to work their way through it. But, you know, it wasn't by chance. Um, Schwabby and, and Chris Connolly certainly had a plan and worked through it. And it showed that, um, you know, the level that... Um, yeah, Hawthorne was on at that stage and, 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 and we went, yeah, almost all the way the next year. But, um, yeah, it was a really cool week to be down there. When we, we're, we're always fascinated by cricketers on tour, particularly during the, the footy season in Australia. What length did you go to try and get scores and videos and to watch games and stay in touch? Yeah, I mean, it was as recently as, you know, the 90s, um, you know, DVDs weren't in, so it was VHS, um, you know, playing league cricket in England, sometimes Saturday mornings, you'd get some highlights. I remember mum was still cutting up the Herald Sun because there was no internet. Yes. So, you know, we had to wait wait on VHS. As Michael Brown, when he was CEO, was really, uh, and he went on obviously to be high up at Cricket Australia. He'd often send VHSs around the world, which was was great from Brownie. Um, yeah, so we we really had to. Uh, I remember the '98 Grand Final, uh, which was North Melbourne and Crows, and we're in Pakistan, and myself and Ricky Ponting, the real footy heads in the team, just said. We don't know. We need to know the results. We'll wait for the VHS on Monday, and and obviously the boys couldn't hold it in, and they let us know. Uh, let let us know, which was hard for Punter because he obviously broke for the Kangaroos. But no, it was it was really tough in those days to actually keep in touch with the game. Uh, Weezy, you got a question for for Flynn? Yeah, we'll obviously get on to Jasmine shortly. But Flynn, do, do you feel like? You're a clear top seed when it comes to uh, water cooler dinner party conversations about who are the most famous Hawthorne supporters you know. And, you know, with over 220,000 Twitter followers, you're now Darren, Darren Levine's not here, but, but you're the biggest social media <laughs> star we've had on this show. Do you feel like a sense of responsibility or pride around the fact that? You know, you're so well-known, but that you represent the Hawthorne fandom community. Yeah, pr- probably more the um, the Hawthorne community, more than social media. I mean, social media is just... I work in the media myself, so I see it as an extension of that. I, I wonder if I work in the media how much I'd be on social media. But, I, you know, I see it just working in with, with the job that I do um, in working, obviously, mainly with cricket. But, um, yeah, for the Hawks, um, you know, the beauty of AFL football is that, you know, you, you, you pick a team and, and through the, the, the good times and the bad times, you, um, you stick with your club. Um, it brings you some of the great joys. Um, you know, you, it also brings some of the, the biggest heartbreaks, you know, for me. You know, 84 grand final. You know, I used to watch the grand finals by myself, Um because, you know, the rest of my family obviously weren't Hawthorne supporters. Um, you know, that loss just hurt big time. 2012, you know, I remember remember taking my son, Braden, um, and he was actually better. He was only 10, but he was more philosophy than me. I'm, I'm just going, you know, we've just, you know, 
who knows whether we get another chance at the grand final and, and he's only 10 going up. Mate, but look at our team. We're a chance to keep going, but you're just absolutely gutted. But the thing is, you know, catch up with a lot of guys, you know, comedian um, Anthony Lehman, you know, Steve Quartermain and co. So it's funny when you do the surrounds in the media, you tend to um, definitely catch up and, and congregate with, with your fellow Hawthorne supporters and and let's be honest, I, I'm not sure how old everyone is there, but you know what a great time to have chosen Hawthorne, um, you know, born in 1970, and to, to win so many premierships, to have so many great players that we have, uh, has been you know just just unbelievable. And then, um, as I said, you know, and and where we sit at right now, um, you know, I'm very comfortable. Yeah, you know, probably don't want to finish too much higher than where we are at the moment. But you know, we've seen the progression from our younger players in the last couple of years. You know, get get another gun youngster at you know pick five or six, and then another one a little bit later on. Um, and certainly, like what Sam's done, you know, we're scoring more. I mean, it does open us up to be scored more against. But um, but certainly. I'm I'm very happy with the way that the, the team's progressed so far this year. Just uh, changing tact a little bit, Flem, and just talking about uh, Jazz and um, her being selected by the Hawks. Can you just talk us? I, I, you probably have a few times, but talk us through the feeling of that as a as as Jazz's dad and uh, how she's settling in at the Hawks. Oh, you're just very proud um, and and so happy for Jazz. Like, she's worked so hard. And you've got to remember, guys, um, you know, she gave up football five years ago because there was no progression. This is how quickly the AFLW has, has come together. And um, and now, with you know, 18 teams is fantastic because we've got a team to barrack for. You know, two, day, two years ago, I wasn't really into the AFLW as much because purely there wasn't a Hawthorne team. And and now um, there's a team and also my daughter's playing in it, um, adds so much to it at all. But, yeah, Jazz sort of played with the boys all the way through and no doubt that, that really did give her a great upbringing um, against stronger um, kids. Um, but also, you know, to get in there and get out and work on your... And she was always very diligent in trying to learn a new skill all the time, very persistent. But five years ago, the pathway was shut, so, you know, she, she focused on, on cricket and, and basketball. And then it was probably, yeah, three or four years ago that um, women's teams started to be involved at the Ash and, Ash, Ashburton Redbacks where um, Tom Mitchell um, played as a kid. And, and and then it's sort of, you know, progressed through there. But she's had to balance. Basketball fell away, but mainly cricket. And then, um, you know, winning a premiership for the Oakley Chargers last year and having five of her teammates get drafted put a real interest in it for us. It made it real. So we supported all those girls. Um, obviously, um, Charlie Rowbottom, number one at the Gold Coast, was phenomenal. And, and, and now... Um, now she's part of it and really enjoying it. You know, Hawthorne, I think, are going to embrace or are embracing the women's side of it as good as anyone. Um, you know, obviously, it's going to take a couple of years to to, to really start peaking, but uh, the welfare side of things, um, you know, the coaching standard, you could tell in the interviews that, 
you know, Hawthorne have really switched on and, and are going to have a real real crack at this. Were you disappointed that she didn't choose cricket? I mean, as an old, as the as the cricketer yourself, or you just you know, as long as the fact that she's playing an elite sport, a chance to play an elite sport was was good enough for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely the latter. I mean, it wasn't you know clean cut. You know, she gave up. You know, she generally been a state cricketer since she was ten or eleven. She captain the last three years. You know, played a district final. Um, the summer before last and then three, four, four weeks later wins a premiership for charges. So it was quite exciting. But, you know, it was really her decision, um, you know, doing a dra- year draft year and doing year 12. It was pretty clear, really, because um, by the halfway through the year, she, she always was going to know whether she was drafted or not. Um, and then we weren't sure on the seasons. It's all changed because I think... Um, if you're going to balance footy and cricket, you'd probably need to be at WBBL level, which I think Jazz could have been, no problems. But, you know, their seasons are going to conflict now. So um, particularly as a fast bowling all-rounder, it was, it was going to be hard. So, um, no, certainly. And, and and there is, a you know, I think even with the boys, I think if, if you're in doubt, I, I think go football first, like Alex Carey, and... Um, and, and then you can go back to cricket and, and play it at a later age. So someone like Alex Keith, I think we'll see less of that. Um, cricketers who go back to, to football, I, I think it'll be um, kids that have a go at football first. And if they make it, well, that's fine. But, you know, if they don't make it and are out of the system three, four years later, well, they're still only 21 or 22, isn't it? And they can, they can, um, they would have learned some great skills. Um, High performance skills, and that, and then give the other sport a bit of a crack. Leading into the actual draft itself, I mean, all the talk was that it was a formality that Jazz would end up at Hawthorne. What was the feeling like leading into the draft in the Fleming household, and who had you guys spoken to? And I mean, was it a formality in your minds? No, not really. Um, and also, Jazz knew a few days out and didn't tell us. So um, <laughs> <laughs> she was scared we'd say something. Um, I, yeah, as you said, the, the general link was she'd probably go number one or two in Victoria. So it was Hawthorne or Essendon, and we were comfortable um, with, with either. Um, but the closer the date got, um, even just for convenience doing year 12, and she goes to... Wesley at Glen Waverley, you know, the Hawks was just going to be a lot more convenient and, and potentially she'd be able to train more because it's only 10, 15 minutes away from where we live and the school, whereas the hangar, which is an amazing facility, you know, is going to take 45 minutes or an hour at times. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just had a bit of a vibe talking, you know, and, and a lot of the established clubs, and it wouldn't have been just Jasmine, they would have spoken to a lot of the top um, line girls just to uh, build a relationship. You know, they'd be thinking, you never know what happens in the future. Um, but I was getting a vibe from a few of those teams that, you know, she, she, that they felt like she was going to go to Hawthorne. Um, but until you hear, well, I'm sure it is for Jazz too, until you until you hear the name, um, yeah, you're never totally sure. And it was it, it was just fantastic. And and obviously you would have heard, like, Jazz really handles herself well in the media. I think she interviewed well um, with the clubs as well. 
like she's pretty down to earth and um, I think cricket's had a bit to do with that. You know, you're playing senior cricket at, at 13 um, with with women. Um, certainly um, creates an environment where, you know, you, you've got to be able to, to mix with, with people who aren't your peers um, and, and in certainly, um, you know, different cultures that way. So, um, but... And from the AFL, geez, it was a good night. I know they've had a couple of years where they've only done it um, virtually for, for the boys and girls. So the first time they could actually host a function, I, I just thought it was outstanding. And, and I'm sure everyone else felt that way, that, that the way that they did it, how quickly it was done. Um, it was just a, an absolute magic night for us. Flame, a quick one from me, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Liam uh, Pickering, I believe, is oh. the manager of Jazz. He's obviously, you know, the uh, Buddy Franklin deal. He's managed Gary Ablett, Dane Swan, Scott Pendlebury, just to name a few. What was his pitch like to get Jazz over? Or did you just sign Jazz up? Obviously, I know uh, you're a very good friend of Pickers, but I'd love to hear the story on how Pickers and Pitch got Jazz over to Precision Sports. Well, he always says that he owes me because in his first district game, um, he's playing for North and I'm playing for South Melbourne and we're five for 40 <laughs> and we're both competing for a final spot. And he drops me second ball and I get 100. So <laughs> it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite as easy as the, uh, the late great Shane Warren's drop of the second hat-trick, but it was, uh, it was certainly in the grand final. But no, Pickers was proactive. And he sent the text, but I did say, we're mates, but, um, you know, this, this needs to be business. And then, uh, and then obviously, um, James is um, a very good operator. Um, also, the thing with, um, with, with Bravo is that they're, um, you know, been with the women the whole way through. Yeah, they got, good, that, yeah they got a good crew. So, they got a lot of good, of, yeah, they got a lot of good players that experience come through because, you, you know, even with myself, you know, I'm thinking, well, well, do you really need a manager? You know, if you're going to go, you know, 30 or 40 or, or higher there and um, and then the more, you know, Jazz started well and just going, oh, she might be top 10 here. So when Pickers reached out, I said, yep, let's have a chat. And then couldn't have been more impressed with, um, with James, with his knowledge and just some case scenarios that, you know, things that boys expect compared to girls and, and, and that sort of stuff. So those sort of case studies that, you know, if you're only just getting into the um, women's space in management, you, you might not realise totally um, the, the difference there. So, no, and, and, and obviously, you know, with Pickers, he's got his own experience in those sides and, and well-connected media-wise that, um, yeah, that, that they've been absolutely brilliant, to be honest. So... Um, and I know in, in guys to me, you know, you want to be with someone who's a bit of a mentor as well, you know, who can help you make good decisions and, 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 and plan for the future, and they've certainly done that. Well, Brad and I both work at SEN, which is Bravo's yeah. part of, and, of course, we had an all-in-staff meeting yesterday, and the absolute highlight for everybody there was the, the the great strides they've made in AFLW and the, the, the stable of established and, and Jazz got to mention as well. So it's clearly a, a big part of the business as well. So they're very excited uh, and keen for her to have a very good season. Yeah, I mean, um, 
yeah, you, you, you just, um, you know, playing-wise, I, I just think um, not just Jazz, but, you know, we're lucky enough to know the other girls too. You know, Charlotte and, and Bridie Hipwell in particular, they played um, under-15 schoolgirls together. So that, that was actually a really good um, team in hindsight. I, I think up to about 12 of them got drafted. So the beauty of um, Hawthorne having so many high picks too and, and, and Mitch in there definitely mentioned it and he was correct is you're walking in with about four or five of your friends straight away um, and then the environment, everything Jazz has been saying from the older um, players has been fantastic and Beck's been superb there as well. Um, and then playing wise, well, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what, ha- what how it works out. Really, they've got some practice matches in a few weeks' time. The season's only five or six weeks away. Like it's quite amazing, really. Um, but I know for for, for Jazz, she, she was just waiting. She she couldn't wait to get to an to a high performance environment. And her experiences at the Oakley Charge have been fantastic. You know, Jason Davenport um, does a great job down there. Um, but you're getting into a professional environment where you get to train three times a week. You're, you're training with better, older players. So I, I, I just, I'm very excited. And, and she's really diligent um, with her work and she wants to upskill. So I'm really excited to see, you know, how much her footy progresses in this first season for the Hawks. And she's got VCE. Will, will she combine that with the VCE exams as well? Is that, or does it all come together at the same time? Yeah, it's a good question because originally they were, you know, talking what happens to the 17-year-old girls doing year 12. And then I know Jazz felt like, you know, whether they play or not. And um, I think Jazz felt like if I was just studying on my exams, you know, it'd stress me out more. You need a physical release. So, um, but they won't, won't always train the three days a week, the year 12 girls. Uh, we've got that luxury, as I said, we're 15 minutes away from Waverley and Box Hill and the school's around the corner. So I'd imagine she'll train at least twice a week. Um, you know, they've, they've had a chance to get a bit of bulk, a fair bit of bulk fitness in there now. So, yeah, yeah I'm still thinking that um, even twice a week and you can do your extra training session um, in some capacity that, that the first-year girls, if they're team their skills are good enough I think the physical work that they've been able to do already and two days a week would, would give them a chance to get, get a game Sure, alright we're going to let, uh, finish up there, so it's been wonderful to have you on the Hawks Insiders We've even before uh, uh, Jazz came along we thought you'd be a great person to get on as a high profile Hawks supporter before we go we'd like to let all our guests promote themselves and talk about where people can watch you, read you follow you. Uh, the floor is yours for a bit of self-promotion. No, no need for p- promotion here. Uh, all good. Just a uh, little bit of Channel 7, Nessie and uh, Cricket Over the Summer. Uh, biologist on social media. If you click on the Instagram account today, you, you may see some exclusive footage uh, I shot for myself from my first hole-in-one at the Riversdale oh. Golf Club. Oh, congratulations. Exclusive interview with myself. That's pretty t- <laughs> tough to, to do. But uh, thanks, gentlemen. Good job. Go Hawks. Very happy with uh, the way that the men's program's going and very excited to to see that the first year and, and all the Hawthorne fans in there getting behind the, the Hawthorne women's program in 2022. Yeah, round one. 
buy your tickets so they can move it to Marvel Stadium, which really will make it a very special yeah, it should occasion. Be there. It should be there. Uh, we had 19,000 for the Hawks-Crows game. I don't know if you guys were there, but the atmosphere was, was sensational with 19,000, and I'm sure the girls will get that minimum. Yeah, I think they will. I think it's uh, incumbent on every Hawthorne supporter to grab a ticket. Flam, congratulations. Thanks, Thanks, well done. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Flam. Thank you. We'll see you soon. That was the great Damien Fleming uh, joining us on Hawks Insiders. Uh, we'll have another guest next week too. Um, Josh Gablich, who's the Hawthorne reporter for AFL Media, is going to join us next week to give his impressions on how the Hawks have gone so far in 2022. One more thing I want to get to before we wrap up. Danny, this is your homework for last week. Didn't get to it. Just give us a, a quick uh, pricey of Will McCabe and should we be getting excited about him at this stage? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about him. I think uh, it's not often the Hawks have had uh, father-son prospects coming through that are, that are fairly highly rated, fairly highly ranked. Um, so to get uh, to have access to Will is exciting. I think the first thing uh, to notice is that um, while his dad, Luke, was a small um, back pocket, uh, Will is a 195, 196 centimetre uh, tall utility. So he's played most of his uh, junior age football as a wingman, uh, but then played uh, in the under-16s carnival the other week, uh, about a fortnight ago, uh, as an overage player at centre-half back and was named South Australia's player of the tournament. So um, versatility, um, a great uh uh, size for coming into AFL footy and um, he's eligible for next year's draft so um, we don't have to wait too long so look I think there's always a there's a lot to a lot of water to go under the bridge for draft prospects between now and I guess the end of next season so he'll be one to keep an eye on in hopefully getting some under 18s footy in the back half of this year um, I think he's at uh, central districts um, and yeah, and then keeping an eye on him next year in the under 18s and also um, in the championships when South Australia play in the under 18 champs. So um, yeah, it's exciting to have a prospect that we can keep an eye on. And uh, we've got Jerome Lawrence, who's the son of Stephen Lawrence um, uh, in this year. He's probably going to be a later pick, but another tall as well. And Jerome was late to footy and is a overage player. Um, didn't play NAB League last year and has had some really big performances in, in the NAB League early in the season. So there's a couple of young father-son prospects uh, to keep an eye on this year and next year. I certainly think it'll be interesting next year with McCabe whether the Hawks can somehow finagle it so they don't have to use their first pick to get him and they can, with, with the points and what have you, find a way to sort of keep their first pick and use their next pick to get McKay. But you know, if he rockets up the charts, that might be hard. But uh, certainly, you know, a, a tall utility is just what very hard not to get uh, too excited about at this stage, but he's sort of what, what to be crying out for. So, Absolutely, uh, yeah. It'll be yeah, great. They need to, need to do the um, Luke McFarlane and not let him play another game of footy for the next. Yeah, uh, and get him and get him to do a serial when he has his draft interviews and tank him. Yeah, or yeah, go play tennis next year, something like that. Will you've uh, you've done all you need to do in footy? Well, that's something to look forward to for uh, next season. We'll be obviously very heavily into the draft in the lead up to this year's event as well on some of our off-season Twitter spaces. That last year got enormous uh, interest, so 
this uh, very, very early reminder, we'll be doing these all the way through the off-season as well. Uh, let's look ahead to Saturday afternoon, Launceston, 1.45 on Fox Footy and KO. It is North Melbourne hosting Hawthorne for the first time in Bloodstone Arena. Hawthorne, first time they've played there. As I said earlier, one time in Hobart, they beat Fitzroy at the old North Hobart over by 157 points. So uh, 30, that was 31 years ago. So it's been happy hunting ground for Hawthorne for 31 years, or certainly the city has. Uh, one change, Jack Gunston coming in, replacing uh, CJ out with a knee injury. The emergencies are Kaczynski, Phillips, Shields and Hardigan. I would say the, they'll probably take two down, give us in the state game. They'll probably take Phillips and I say, and I suspect um, Shields or Hardigan to the other one. I think they will play Cozzy as uh, in the VFL this week and give him a run. I think they, anyone's interested, he doesn't play footy for two weeks in a row. Brad, a couple of early thoughts on this one. Uh, as I said at the start, good chance to go back to back to back. I think we should easily win this game. I know we haven't played at Hobart for a very long time. Tom Mitchell's the only player in this team who's played there. He played there when he played for Sydney. Uh, good team on paper, one of our best teams for the year. It's going to be good to see the youngsters all play together. McDonald, Ward, DGB, Morris, Newcomb. Scott, I think Hawks are probably the third or fourth youngest side in the comp at the moment. Uh, so good to get more games into them. I think Josh Ward has another good opportunity to get 30-plus. Uh, Nick Larky, I think, will be in doubt. I don't think he'll play. I know he missed a lot of last week's game for North Melbourne. Hardwick on Zerha is going to be a brilliant clash to watch, probably the matchup of the probably the matchup of the game. Dimmer's continued his amazing season. Will be top three in our best and fairest, in my opinion, this year. So that's one to look out for. Zerha's probably North Melbourne's best forward. Uh, their midfield matches up pretty well against ours. They've got some good young players in there in Luke Davis, Uniac. Uh, Jai Simpkins been in pretty good form in the last few weeks. Uh, big test for Reeves against, you know, uh, Goldstein, but having big boy there is going to help. So I think it's another really good opportunity for us to get another win, which will be our seventh for the year. And at the start of the year, if you ask most of our supporters, I think many would have said seven to eight wins would have been a really good result this year. So, and I think we've got some winnable games, you know, the last four weeks against Gold Coast in Tassie. We play Bulldogs in Richmond, I think. Ash, correct me if I'm wrong. And, and St Kilda as well. Yeah, and those three team seasons could just about be over when we play them. So, it's going to be a good end to the season. Uh, so, yeah, I think we'll go uh, down to Hobart this week and get the win. It's interesting, Hawthorne. So, we get this week over and done with, and the last four teams they play are all in that race for the eight. To finish eight in the to, you know, to get that last spot in the eight, so they'll all be up for it. So there'll be big games Hawthorne are playing, and uh, you know it's not really the Hawthorne thing to get excited about playing spoiler, but uh, uh, might be the small mercies that we get to enjoy for the end of the season. And gee, it'd be nice to put St Kilda out of the misery in a couple of weeks' time. Nothing as a supporter would give me more pleasure after the arrogant supporters I had to sit next to during the game earlier in the year. Danny, any concerns heading to this week before we finish up? Uh, yeah, the main concern would be getting smashed in the clearances again. Um, like Brad touched on before, Norse midfield's definitely not their weakest point. So um, we we really need to get first hands on the footy and we need to make the most of uh, any advantage that uh, Ned Reeves gives us. And uh, I don't think we did that as well as we could have last week uh, against the Eagles. So to be 
it'll be nice to win some win a clearance battle. Uh, <laughs> we don't do that very often. So if we can do that, I think that sets us up well for victory because I think we're stronger than them in the back half and in the forward half. We just need to match them in the midfield. Yeah, if, if they get repeat entry, repeat after, you know, repeat after repeat entry out of that midfield, it could be a long afternoon. So they're going to have to at least break even. The break even there in the, in the clearances around the midfield, they probably will win the game. Uh, quick tip from you, Danny? Uh, Hawks by three goals. Brad? Uh, I reckon Hawks by five goals. I reckon they'll win this, should win this by 30-plus. Andrew? Yeah, I'm tipping us to win by six goals. I think that we should be winning this game comfortably. I've got Hawthorne by goal, and uh, the venue concerns me a reasonable amount. They're a young team. I'll have to work their way through it, and I hope they can. You know, North really aren't much good. That has been the spaces for this week. We thank again David Fleming for joining us. Uh, great to have him on board. As I said before, hopefully Josh Gablich from AFL Media will come on next week for a bit of a chat about where he thinks the Hawks are at, um, getting the journos who watch them pretty closely. And he's done a great job covering Hawthorne this year. Uh, it would be really good to get his perspective on what's been going on at Waverley Park this year. Thank you to everybody for your support of the Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for the best online Hawthorne content there is. Uh, Andrew, any housekeeping I need to take care of before we finish up? No, that's it. Just that obviously we um, we seem to get a lot more people listening to our review pod and um, enjoying our post-match articles after a win. So no doubt everyone will enjoy this, week, this week's content as well. So make sure you check it all out. That's it. So thanks everyone for listening to The Spaces tonight. You can pick it up as a podcast if you didn't hear it all. You wouldn't hear it again or want to tell all your mates. Have a listen, uh, available to the usual providers. We'll talk to you again over the weekend with our uh, player ratings and our match review article as well coming out. Uh, we'll have Simon's uh, preview sort of tactical matchup piece going up tomorrow as well. So thank you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the weekend. Hopefully, it is a three-peat of wins coming along. That's the three-peat that we get to look forward to at the moment at the Hawthorne Football Club. We'll talk to you again next time. Thanks and good night.